We're in the Pele Yohais, we are up to the entry called Mora. Number one, the first fear that is mandatory. Parents, fear your parents. It says, I saw very few people. The minority that really have the proper fear of their parents. Unless they're scared that the parents are going to beat them up with the uh, stick. But when they get a little older, where the parent really doesn't, uh, you know, have too much, uh, uh, at least doesn't hit them anymore, doesn't have any, you know, any more say when it comes to that. Put him all. That's it. <coughs> they throw the yoke of listening to their parents off. The kid gets 18 years old, maybe younger. Gets his license. And, you know, I don't have to listen to you. I'm 18 years old. I'm going out. You better be home by this time. All my friends are going out. I'm not have to be home. I don't have to listen to you. Already, I'm, I'm older. That's what happens. Wow. He says, you can't find one out of a thousand children that respect their parents like they're supposed to. Most of these children from the day of There's, there's going to be a day of reckoning for this. Somebody wants life? Let him gird himself with strength. Whatever is his responsibilities, especially towards his parents, he should do. You don't want the children to go to Gainam on the account of the parents. So the parents should forgive them. The custom is, the children go to the parents before Kippur, right after the Surat al-Mafsekid, and they go kiss their parents' hands, and they ask them for Mehidah. Maybe during the year, they did something, you know, out of line, and it's customary that the parents should say, I forgive you. <coughs> so at least... The child shouldn't be held accountable on the day of judgment because something that did his parent. You want, nobody wants their children to have to suffer because of that avon. So that what's proper for the parents to always be more held their children. No, don't, uh, don't hold it against them. Wow. Even though the parents are mohel, it's not going to save them totally from punishment. Even though which means the kids have to make the shuvah. That that doesn't change. But at least it'll do it'll do a half. At least something it'll do. Which means there's a mitzvah sometimes to say something that people will listen to. Just like that, there's a mitzvah to, to not say something that you think the people are not going to listen to. Which means, if the father knows that the kid's not going to listen, he shouldn't tell him to do it. Don't set up the kid to make an avon. The parent tells the kid something where the parents know it's a long shot that the kid's going to listen to. Now, the father says, oh, go over there, do this, do that. The father says, I, I'm there, I can't do it. Now you cause the kid to make avon. <clears throat> so the parents sometimes... If he knows from before that the child is not going to listen, he shouldn't say it. Just like it says, uh, <speaking in Hebrew> Just like it says, 
which means the the the, the halacha writes that the Torah brings it down in Makot that after a certain age you shouldn't hit your children. Why? Because they're going to hit back. They hit back, and therefore Sufni Avilut Temechshol. By you hitting your child, you cause them to make an avod. So the same thing over here. And by by what's going to end up happening? You're going to cause tsar lemala aliyde avon shel beno mechpid gadbohid shkenta begaluta, and you're going to continue that the shkenta is going to remain in galut. But achir kol alum yaseh bedal v'dor shel ben fi mitatov yeshokim bepes v'kolat asharav lo yachti, which means you have to be uh, on target. You can't uh, you know tell the kids to do things that they're not going to be obedient. But yes, od mora. Oh, there's another fear that a person has to have. And what is that? That's Moram Mikdash. The fear of the synagogue. The fear of the of the temple. Asher achshav yeshtanu b'mkomo b'te keneset. We have the b'te keneset. Asher ulanu l'mikdash me'ad. That's the minute of b'te mikdash. Uchvar yadua shihmiru me'od b'zor ha'kadosh b'isur ha'dibur b'te keneset. They don't like those that talk in the synagogue. The Zorah Kadosh says, Demand mishta'e bebeke nishta'a. Somebody that talks in the Bet Knesset, Agera mehemanuta. He is taking away from the emunah, Velete hulaka bedahad Yisrael. He has no share in the God of Israel. Besides that, he's okay. Uchvar milati amura, Shebe'anyanim ke'elu sabhir abana. The rabbis scream on this. Vedar chulu pefirka kefa'am bepa'am. The rabbis always are talking. Don't speak in the synagogue. Be quiet. They ain't samim alef. But they don't pay attention to people. The world goes according to its practice. People come to shul and they talk. Therefore I call out to you. Have mercy on the kavod of your creator and on your own souls. If it's hard for you, look what you're going to lose. Not worth it. The few conversations you have in the synagogue is not worth the loss that you're going to get. And if it's hard, like the saying goes, no pain, no gain. Where it's harder, you get more reward. There was great pogroms in the years Tahvetat, that's 5,408 and 5,409. That's like uh, in the uh, 1600s. There were two years where there were terrible pogroms throughout Eastern Europe, where hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed by the Cossacks. It's like the Ukrainians. Very, very bad. Uh, by Tzorer uh, Yehudi uh, Bogdan Chemenlinki it's a very very bad Lashai uh, uh, he had no mercy they killed the Jewish people in the most uh, you know inhumane ways uh, and they uh, there was a rabbi called the Tosfot Yom Tov <coughs> and he had a dream and in the dream they told him that this Gezerot of Tahvetat was because they were talking in the Bet Knesset. Imagine that. Two years of terrible persecution and they pinned it on talking in the Bet Knesset. And they said that the Sephardim uh, said was spared from many of these 
persecutions from that one, from the Holocaust and things like that. Tzaddikim say it's because they were much more uh, respectful in their batikinesiyot. They were much more careful. So this is something that you see. We don't know the reasons, but the Tzaddikim are telling us that that was a the Ashkenazim have a special mission berach that they make at the Hechal uh, on Shabbatot. Special mission berach they bless all those that don't talk in the synagogue. That they should have you know special uh, special benefits. Okay, it's a big thing. Of course, even when you're talking in the synagogue, <coughs> things that are permissible, you shouldn't talk in a loud voice like you're in the schoolyard. You don't call your friend from the other side of the shul, hey, you know what I mean? You have to be, uh, you're, in, you're, in, you're, in, you're in God's uh, living room. So you don't just uh, scream out like that. Even when you're allowed to talk, you see, God, let's say, making an avera, or stifling or not, incorrectly, whatever it may be. Don't scream, ah! You're the, you're the, the, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the, the, you're the, Sometimes you see the people in the synagogue, in the middle of the Amidah, they're yawning. The guy's the guy like a yak. He opens his mouth up and he's revealing his mouth in front of everybody. The Banish Pais is Asud. A person yawns in the synagogue, has to cover his mouth. Even the, the, the sneezing, blowing his nose in the middle of the synagogue. You have to, uh, the middle of the Amidah. Baruch Hashem, he starts to, to... That's indicative of, of the person and the type of person he is. He probably doesn't have manners. Outside either. Right. Okay, so he has to be extra careful. He has to be extra careful. There's another fear that a person has. So, so far, what is the fears we discussed? The fear of parents. Then we discussed the fear of the synagogue. The next fear the rabbi uh, talks about is the fear of his mother-in-law. I'm just joking, Eric. That's <laughs> From the rabbis. <laughs> From the hachamim. It says in the Pasuk, Now, what does it mean you have to fear God? So the Gemara says, It's coming to include. Just like it's two, three hundred years ago. The people are lenient on this. They don't respect. Now they don't respect. became cheap. At the end, those that are going to burn from the coal, the hot coal of the Tamidi Hachamim. Yeah, mark. They humiliate them. They deride them. Either they're going to get their punishment here or the next world. You know what? We can't blame the people so much. Because they don't know how serious the offense is. Because the rabbis don't talk about it. Because if the rabbis talk about it, the people are going to say, oh, look at them, they're talking about their own kabod. What the rabbis going to get up and say, you have to fear rabbis. Rabbis are like God. You have to be careful. Because if you start with them, you're going to get burnt. What are the people going to say? Hey, look at this guy over here. He's speaking about his own uh, respect. He's arrogant. So the people don't know the severity of it because they never talk about it. 
לפי שהתלמידי החכמים מושכים עצמם לדרוש בעניין זה כדי שלא יבנו לכבוד עצמם הוא דורש. So the people don't say it's a self-serving speech. אבל על כל פנים, כיוון שאומרים בית הכנסת בתינוקות של בית רבן, שקוראים פרקי אבות, אבל תגור לשול, and you listen to the kids when they're in the פרקי אבות class, what does it say in the פרקי אבות? ומתחמם כנגד עולם של חכמים. Warm yourself in front of the חכמים. The משנה קמפס על החכמים, like a fireplace. The fireplace, you have to sit in the right spot in order to get the heat. If you sit too far, it's cold. However, if you sit too close, it's too hot. But the same thing with the hachamim, you have to position yourself where you get enough warmth, but not too close where you're going to get burnt. The Mishnah compares the hachamim to a coal. Why is it compared to a coal? Why don't you compare the hachamim to a fire? No, because a fire, you know to be careful from. A coal, when you look at it, doesn't look hot. It's gray. Gray ashes. Where's the, where's the fire of the coal? Inside. And therefore, it's a little uh, deceiving. See, he's a regular guy like us. You go, hey, Rabbi, how you doing? They pat him on the back. Hey, what's up? Like they text me. Hey, what's up, Rabbi? Who, who, who are you talking to? Are you talking to your friend? Talking to, 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 to the Rabbi. We would ever go. Imagine us going to Acham Baruch Hashem, patting him on the back. We wouldn't think of the patting. The, we, to touch him on the to touch him besides his hand. He's a Kodesh Kodeshim. Today the guys go, hey, Rabbi, what's going on? What's cooking? What's, uh, what's happening? What is this over here? So, they don't realize. The hacham, on the outside looks like everybody else, but inside there's a fire. So be careful of the coal. You touch the coal, all of a sudden you realize that the guy gets burned. Uh, but today there's no tamid hachamim, by the way. To be Tamil Akam, you have to know the whole uh, Torah, really, basically. But the Torah is basically that the Torah is relative, which means just like the, the scholarship of the Tamil Akam went down, but the people also went down. So, therefore, the rabbis are commensurate to the generation. So, in the times of Shemuel and Nabi, the generation was a high level, they got a Shemuel and Avi as a rabbi. But in a low level generation, you got Yiftah as a rabbi. So therefore, it all is uh, under the same ratio. So that's what he's saying. He wants to explain, right? You see the difference between the sun and the moon. Only in one generation, there was Yiridat Adorot. There's a regression. But the regression is not only on the leadership, the regression is on the, on the constituents as well. So therefore, the Pelion says everybody has to treat. We once said a Hadush. Now we heard from the rabbi like this. The Gemara says, Et Hashem that you have to fear God. So what is the it coming to include? You have to fear God. The Pasuk said, Hashem But it says, Et Hashem. So it is coming to include Tamidi Hakamim. So it says like this. It says like this. Pasuk writes, Even Ma'asua Bonim, Ayeta Nerosh Pinna. It says that Tabidi Hachamim are called builders. Atikre Banaich, and Abonaich. The Hachamim are builders. What are they building exactly? They're building the world. The Bonayonam, they build the world. 
through the Torah, the Torah keeps the world in existence. So you can be a builder with a with a hammer and a, a, a nail, banging in you know a, 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 a plaster and things like that, and be building roofs, or you could be a builder by maintaining the world. So you're a builder. How do they maintain the world by studying Torah? That means the bricks, the bricks that the Taminah Chemim are involved in are the words of the Torah. That means if they are bonayich, each word of the Torah is an even. Each word is a is a is a, is a stone. Every time Taminah Chemim learn, it's like they're building another, putting another stone. The Gemara says. The Gemara says that there was one rabbi. He studied the whole Torah, and every time there was an it, he was able to say a. Uh, a dirash. Every time he said et, he gave an explanation. When he got the et, Hashem in the he said, what can I say? You have to fear God. Who else do you have to fear besides God? Uh, there's nobody. So he said, this word et is not uh, not explicable. So the Pasuk says, even ma'asu habunim. There was one of these rocks, the stones, ma'asu habunim. The builders were mu'isit. They said, it's not coming to teach us anything. The Eben, the Eben means the letter Et. This word, this Eben over here, but at the end, I tell it, from becoming despised and not having an interpretation, it ended up being the cornerstone. It ended up having the best. Which Pasuk was that? The next line. Me'et Adonai Haitazot. It was the Pasuk of Et Hashem. Me'et Adonai Haitazot. That was the Pasuk of Et Hashem. It became. Wondrous in our eyes that the it went from becoming Masu and Bonin, they didn't know what to do with it. And all of a sudden, no, look at this. We lifted it up to put Akamim on the ice level. That was the Dirash that the rabbi said. So we added to the Dirash. He said like this it says when Rivka was pregnant. So she was carrying babies in her womb, and they were giving her a hard pregnancy. And the children were wrestling in her womb. What's going on? What am I doing over here? What did I pray for children for? If it's so difficult, so painful, what did I pray for? So it says, She went to 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 to, to Doresh Hashem. Consult Hashem. So that as she rides, she went to the Bit Midrash, she went to the rabbis. She went to the rabbis to ask the rabbis advice. Where did she see that she went to the rabbis? It says she went to seek the counsel of God. She went to make the Dirashah on Et Adonai. And what did we just say the Dirashah on Et Hashem is? Et Hashem Achamim. So she was the first one to make the Dirashah. She went to make the Dirashah Et Hashem. So she said, Also, she must have went to Shem Because those were the Tamidiyah Chamim that were prevalent at the time. That's the Anyan of the uh, of the uh, of the Dirashah of Et Hashem Elohecha Tira Et Rabot Tamidiyah Chamim. We once explained why does it say it? The Gemara over there writes, it says, so there was a Rabbi Shimon Aram Sunni. 
Sunni, he wasn't. He was the one that eventually. He was the one that started with this it theory. And he went through every it, and he wasn't able to figure it out when it came to it. So he abandoned the uh, the derash. Until the Akiva came along with derash. So I had two questions on the Gemara. Why is the Gemara say Achevara Biakiva? What is making so dramatic? Just say the Biakiva Omer. Every time a rabbi introduces an answer that the previous rabbi didn't know, you say Achevara Biakiva. Tell the Biakiva, hey, Mashiach said. Just say the Biakiva Omer. You don't know the answer. Biakiva answer. What's Achevara Biakiva? Sounds like something took place here. And why did the Biakiva say it in the plural? You should say Et Lerabot Tabit Hacham. Why did it say Et Lerabot Tabit Hachamim? So explain it like this. Really, the Tosafot has a question over there in the Masechet, uh, where is it? Baba Kama. Tosafot says, what do you mean? We don't need a Pasuk to say that you have to fear Tabit Hachamim. We have a, a Pasuk that clearly says, Ve'el da mishpati mashet tasim nefnehem. It says, the judge, when he sits in court, he has to take his weapons and put it on the table. The the belt and the stick and all. So when the people come into court, oh, they're scared of the judge, they're scared they're going to get beat up. So we know you have to fear Tamid Achem. So, just what answers? Uh, no, that's the way we do judges, but how do we know Tamid Achem? But we explain like this we don't need a source that you have to fear Tamid Achem. That's not what the Dirash was coming to teach. Fearing Tamid Achem, we knew that from the Pasuk that Tosafot quoted. Rabbi Akiva has come to tell you a bigger hadush. He's saying, Et that rabbis have to respect rabbis. Mm-hmm. That that's the hadush of Rabbi Akiva. And why did Rabbi Akiva do this? This is Ad Sheba Rabbi Akiva. Until that episode came to Rabbi Akiva, where 24,000 of his students died in a very short period of time. And he figured out the reason was, Because they didn't have mutual respect. So he says, well, now I learned a bigger hadush. Not only does the Balabayit have to respect the Tamid Hakam, but I see even the Tamid Hakamim have to have mutual respect. So that's what the Rabbi Akim was saying. Until that lesson, exactly, that, that historical lesson came to the Akiva where he lost the students. Wow. So he said, I'll tell you what the Darash is. Over I know, trust me, nobody knows more than I know what this Darash is. That the Hakamim themselves have to have the proper Kabot uh, for each other. That was the Darash also we said on that Gemara. The last Darash we said on that Gemara was as follows. The Shem said many Darash on that Gemara. We said Darash from Rabbi Gifter, Allah Bashalom. Rabbi Gifter explained that Gemara like this. Beautiful Darash. It said that the first rabbi was called Shimona Amsoni. And he was the one that really originated this theory of the Etz. And he started off from page one of the Torah, Bereshit, Barai, Elohim, Et, Tashavai, Et, Aris. Well, he started Et, and he gave a Hadush Et. Et, Rabot, Et, Rabot, Et, Rabot. And he had a book like this. Specialized only in That was his item. Yeah, he was oh. the Et rabbi. Wow. He, he was the one that came up with the Hadush that the Et is a word of Derash. And we got to explain it. And he explained, I don't know how many ads, you have to Google it in the computer, how many ads are there in the Torah, but there's got to be thousands of them. Tens. And he had this book over here of ads, the ad book, and everybody knew, Shimon Amsoni is working on the ad book. 
the rabbi, when's the book going to be printed? Soon. I just got a few more to go, and then we're going to, you know, get, 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 get the book out on the shelves. Rabbi, where's the book? I, I don't know. I'm stuck. I got stuck on one it. The it is shivlechita. I got stuck on it. So, okay, so print the book without that. He said, no, 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 no. If it doesn't work once, that means the whole theory is flawed. Meaning it's got to work in every, uh, in every spot. So they tell him, come on, Rabbi, 99% the theory is good, big deal, you work your whole life. He said, oh, what did you do with the book? I put it in Guinea's eye. I just I, I bailed out. And he said, the Gemara says, he says, Keshem shekabel sachar ala derisha, kach ekabel sachar ala derisha. Just like God's going to reward me for making these derashu, God will reward me for, for shelving it, for, for putting it away. Now, you know what type of intellectual honesty that takes? For a human being to be working on a theory his whole life. And then at the end, because he sees that it's not 100% truthful, that he comes along and, and he, he bails out from, 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 from producing it. He could have just faked one. Yeah. Oh, oh, leave it, don't. They did a study in the Wall Street Journal that most theories that scientists propose in the colleges have flaws in the theory and the scientists that present them know the flaws but they, they cover them up they, 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 know, they know how to refute their own theories but is it, after a person works on something for so long you become invested in the item so at the end you're working obviously you see it's a mistake you, know, you, know, you don't want to admit it because so they tell once Roshlomo Zaman Oyebach went to the yeshiva called Torah to give his model lesson to give them the first uh, shiur uh, eventually became the Rosh Yeshiva but before that this was when he just came into the yeshiva to give his model lesson he gave a whole pinpool in the Gemara Some, one of the students asked him a question Roshlomo Zaman heard the question he said you're right Okay, that's it. You got me. It doesn't, yeah. So, it's out. I'm out. So he was worried. That's it. He lost his job now. He kept to get the model class, and the kid already destroyed the whole thing. On the contrary, the Rosh Hashiva said it's exactly the type of rabbi we're looking for. That intellectually honest. Listen, you came along. You he worked on the shiur for, for who knows how long. This kid comes on one question, topples the whole building. The normal way is to defend yourself. But the rabbi thought for such, yes, this is a question I didn't think of. It doesn't work. The calculation, it's no good. Not emit. Those are the tzaddikim. That nothing was more pressing to them than emit. Integrity. Integrity. Oh, so we once, Rabbi Gift explained the Gemara like this. It says, Rabbi Akiva came along and he gave the derash. You know where Rabbi Akiva got the inspiration to make such a derasha? From Shimon Amsoni. When he saw Shimon Amsoni, how a rabbi can be such a tzaddik that can work on a project for so many years, and then when he sees it's not a hundred percent true, he bails away from the project because it's not emet. Rabbi Akiva says, because of your behavior, Shimon Amsoni, I'm going to make the darash, which means you, Shimon Amsoni, was the inspiration of the final end. Rabbi Akiva said. Yes, if that's what a Tamir Hakam is, then I will say a Tamir Hakam is tantamount to God. They're just like God is Emmet, Tamir Hakam is like Emmet. So the, 
because Shimon Amsoni was Poresh, that inspired the Derash. His behavior motivated the Akiva. Rabbi Akiva came and said, I'll tell you what is Etrabot Tamidah Khamim. If that's what Tamid Akham is, yes, I will say that that is uh, tantamount to God. That's solved the final piece. Correct. By, 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 by not. By not saying it. His behavior solved the final wow, piece. Wow, 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 wow. We've got the proper reaction. The, the, the final Derash that we said, we said many Derash on this Gemara. What does it mean that Shimona Amsoni said, Keshem she kabel sakar ala dirisha? Just like I'll get reward for the dinashot that I made, God will reward me for the abstention, for, for not making this final dinashot. Now I understand why he's going to get reward for the abstaining, not to make the final dinashot. Because, you know, he felt that there's nothing to say over there, so he's going to... But why is he going to get reward for the dinashot? At that point he thought that all these dinashot were false. So why should God reward him for all these false eventually Akiva rehashed them. But at that point, why should Shimon Amsoni say, just like I'm going to get reward for the, for the Dirash, I'll get reward for the Pidisha. Well, you're not going to get reward for the Dirash. At the end of the day, the answer's all wrong. It's like a guy takes the region, and he's working on the region for, you know, you see those, 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 uh, those state tests where you have to, you know, fill in the you know, fill in the blank, fill in the one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D. You got to fill in the the, uh, the circle, the, the oval. You have to circle, right? So the guy takes the test for four and a half hours, and he realizes that he was off. So therefore, every answer is wrong. So uh, he hands in his test. So the teacher says, well, you, you filled it out all wrong. You were off by one. So the guy says, no, it's just like, okay, I'll get reward on the Dirash, but you're not going to reward anything. You get zero. <laughs> you get reward. They're all wrong. What kind of reward are you getting over here? You, you get the, the full of the month club. And Shimon so Amsoni, they're all wrong. Explanation is that Torah is not like the regions. In Torah, there's two rewards. There's reward for the effort. Attempt. Exactly. In American society, they tell you, I mean, you get an A for effort. That's what you get for effort. You get an A for effort. A means you get a nothing. Which means when a guy goes and toils and toils and toils, America is built on result-oriented. Bottom line. You cannot go to your boss and say, well, I traveled the whole country, I worked 22 hours a day trying to sell. How much did you sell? I sold nothing. So I want, uh, I want to get paid. You get paid. You know how hard I worked? I knocked on doors, I walked up steps, I talked, I was blue in the face. How many dozens did you sell? I didn't sell any. So bottom, bottom line, you, 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 you get zero. I want to get reward for my effort. A for effort. But you don't, get any, you don't get paid for that. In Torah, it's not like that. In Torah, the toiling itself is a, is, is a value. Whether you come up with the right answer or not, that's another that's another story. But the learning itself, that means a person can be sitting in the yeshiva the whole day, breaking his head on a tosafot, trying to figure out what the tosafot says. Three hours later, the bell rings, and what's the explanation? Still can't figure it out. So the guy comes up and tells his wife, Hala, what a wasted morning this morning. I wasted three hours trying to understand the tosafot, and I didn't get it. It's not so. In the Shammai, they say the toil itself 
is the is the reward. It's the Torah is not based on a bottom line uh, uh, theory. It's based on a effort theory. Even if you misinterpret everything, not on purpose. Right. Not right. on purpose. In advance. And it's not a mitzvah to be a fool, but if you don't understand it, yeah, you get reward. So you should never think you came to the midrash, you wasted your time. Many times, guys come to the shiur, they didn't understand it. Now they're sitting in the shul, they're trying to understand it, they didn't understand it. Don't think you wasted your time. And the Shemaim is credit for that. The Hafez Chaim explained it as follows. We say in the prayer, when we leave the Beit Midrash every night, we leave the yeshiva, there's a prayer that we say. We say like this, Thank you God for giving me the zikhut to sit in the Beit Midrash. We feel very lucky. And then we say, Anu amedim we toil and we get reward. Him Amelim, they toil and they don't get reward. Who's they? Well, the other people that are involved in their worldly pursuits. They toil, they don't get reward. So the Hafez Haim says, what are you talking I understand we toil, we get reward. While I'm a ba, no problem. But they also get reward. Guy goes out to work, he makes business, he makes millions of dollars, he gets the reward, he builds a house, gets a car. They're also, uh, so Hafez Haim says, no, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about and when he's successful. We're talking about on the toiling itself. We toil and we get reward for the toiling. They toil, they don't get reward for the toil. They only get reward for the execution, for the results, for the bottom line. That's a big difference. And therefore, again, it teaches us that Torah is not bottom line oriented. So therefore, to be Shimon, he understood, he spent 50 years working on the theory. The theory was wrong, so what? I'm going to get reward for the Dirisha. Because bottom line, I was working, I was toiling, I used my brain, I was analyzing, so it was wrong. Okay, so, so, so I can't print the book. Uh, but uh, for, for learning Torah, of course I'm going to be reward for the Dirisha. But now that I know it's not true, so I, I have a mitzvah also to be, uh, to be Purish. The Pasuk says, Intibakshena kakesef. Says you have to pursue the Torah like you pursue money. But the people run after money, have to run after the Torah, pursue it. And you have to pursue the Torah like a matmon. A matmon is like a lost object. Now, the Refashim explained. What do you mean like you pursue a lost object? You don't pursue a lost object. Lost objects usually just... You, you don't leave your house and say, I'm going, I'm, going to, I'm going to find a lost object today. Usually you walk in the street, all of a sudden you see an item, it hits you suddenly. Kiss if I understand. Kiss if you go out, I'm going out to make money today. But you don't go out to say... I'm, Unless you're an old man on the beach walking around with the with the, with the Geiger counter looking for, 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 for old uh, bottle caps, I'm not talking about that. Most people, you, you don't go out, you don't go out looking for lost objects. The lost object comes to you suddenly. So the Mefarshim explained this pasuk like this, which is a very very important yisud. When you go and study Torah. You're going to study Torah like the pursuit of money. So even though I go out to decide to make money, doesn't mean I'm going to make money. I 
taught to make the money. But Astah, it says, if the all you have to do is make a bikush. You just have to want. You go out study and learning, you try, you're trying to find the, uh, the money. Even if you don't find it, but you're going to get the reward. But then it says, that you're going to pursue it like a, like a lost object, which means like this. Even when you do finally get to the answer, the guy's working on the Tosafot for three hours. All of a sudden, after three hours, ah, it came to him. You got it. That's the shot. You have to know that that's like finding a lost object. That means, just like a lost object comes to you as a, it's a gift. It comes to you without your toiling. You're not toiling to find the lost object. The lost object it appears. It appears. The same thing with Torah. Bore Olam says, you make your effort, and then all of a sudden, after a certain amount of effort, boom, God opens your eyes, and you're able to see something that you weren't able to see before. Don't think that when you figured it out, oh, that was my uh, my brains and all that. Just like nobody will come along when he finds a ring in the sand. Nobody comes up, oh, look how smart I was. I sat down, I stuck my finger in the sand, there was a, there was a gold ring. How smart you are. Smart. Nothing with your brains. You are lucky. Which means... Even though you're going to toil like you're making money, but at the end of the day, when you finally find it, it's like a matmon, it's like, it's like a lost object. Which is, it comes, they say hadad, it just comes to you, it comes to you like that. So again, you see from the pasuk, the reward, the, 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 the treasure that's already Bore Allah's business. Bore Allah gives you the answer. But for us, the bikush is the, is the, is, is, is the main item. It's the, the searching for it, it's the yearning for it. We told you the, the, the story. There was a great rabbi called Rabbi Aizala Harif. Rabbi Aizala Harif was looking for a son-in-law for his daughter. In the older days, when, where did they go to find the son-in-law? To the yeshiva. They want to find the biggest tamid hacham. Bring him home to be a son-in-law. Just like today. So what happens? He goes to yeshiva. So he gets up in front of all the boys. Boys, I'm going to ask you a question on the Gemara that you're learning. Whoever can give me the answer, that could be my son-in-law. Yeah, pick the best, best, pick the biggest rabbi. Anyway, for three days they're trying to get the answer. Deep question. Everyone's coming along, giving an answer. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that. The rabbi saying, "Now you're all washed up. You know what you're talking about." After three days, the rabbi says, "All right, listen. Uh, I, I guess uh, my son-in-law's not coming from the yeshiva. He leaves. So one eye, one kid is running after the rabbi." He says, Rabbi, Rabbi, the answer, the answer. So the Rabbi says, oh, okay. So, I mean, you have the answer? He says, I don't have the answer, but what's the answer? Oh, okay, we didn't get him. He says, you're the guy. You're the guy. Which means all these other guys, they didn't get the answer, so I forgot about it. Okay, that's it, we didn't get it. You, it bothers you. Okay, we didn't get it. But give me the answer. She's the desire to learn. The want to learn. There is a... Uh, 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 a famous saying that they say about the they say the Gaon Mivilna. They say if you want to become a Gaon, Mirvil, Mirvil, you have to have a will. The Gaon in, 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 in Yiddish is a Mir Mirvil. You have to have a you have to want it. You have to be kush, which means not necessarily the greatest brain. Not necessarily the one that comes up with the sharpest answers. The, the one that's measured in Torah is the one that has the biggest drive. 
That's how God judges a person. It's not uh, 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 the one that's the most highest IQ. Uh, they say about the Gedolim, they say as a yeshiva boy, he was not a, uh, from the Mitsuyanim. He was not from the, his friends say. In the yeshiva, he wasn't from the, you know, the highest level guys. So the mediocre guys. But he was the most diligent. And you know what his friends say? Guess what? At the end of our lives, we were all reading his books. <laughs> At the end of his life, when we were reading Yamara, Avachar's books were the ones we were reading to understand them. Which means he surpassed them all. Because of the diligence. Because of the will. Because of the effort. That's the same thing that we're saying over here. We said, I'm going to get reward for the effort. Answer, wrong answer. That's up to God. That, whether you find the treasure or not, that's not up to you. Treasure finding the lost object, that's Besechadat, that's God does. But the effort itself, and the effort in learning Torah does not limit itself to the actual learning. There was a great rabbi called the Maharil. In his time, they invented a gadget, the yeshiva. It was like a lazy Susie. Remember what a lazy Susie was? You put it on the table, and it's around the table. And when you want to get the uh, the food that's on the side, you turn the item, and it comes around to you, and then the tahini is next to you. Now the guy says, pass me the tahini, you go, and you turn it, and it goes to... There's still people that have this on their table. It's quite table. common, yeah. I've seen it's it. quite common. It's, 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 uh, they're called lazy suits. So in the yeshivas, they invented this. They would put it on the table. They put all the books on the table. So now a guy wants to the dva. The dva's on the side. Pass me to the dva. Bing. They turn the table. Thing comes up the right table. Right, right, right. Like, uh, like room service. So the mari was against it. Hey, this is not for us. He says, part of the toiling in Torah is to get up and go to the bookshelf and get the book. Physically, sir. Yes. You, you, you would think to yourself, what does that got to do with toiling? What's the difference how I get the What's the difference if I get the book by turning the button or pushing the gap? No, getting up and walking to the back of the bookshelf, that's part of the, the effort. means when you're, when you're walking to the shiur in the morning, it's freezing cold. That's part of the amirut. Circling three times around the block and you find parking. You think to yourself, ah, what a waste of time. I, no, that's part of the experience. Every inconvenience of the learning of Torah, that makes the Torah stronger. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, when he came out of the cave, you have, have another minute? Or you, you I have, have uh, okay. a while, me and Steve. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't know about your schedule. But <laughs> <laughs> <No>, it's fine. <laughs> so now, explain like this. Explain like this. Uh, what was I going to tell you? Bishamon came out of the cave. He came out of the cave, he went to the Megveh. He saw his father-in-law. He saw his son-in-law. It's a mahlukah, his father-in-law, his son-in-law. He was a big sadiq. The old book, Misilai Sharim, is based on the teachings of Rabbi Haz bin Ya'ir. Anyway, he sees his father-in-law and took off his uh, jacket, Rabbi Shemur, he wanted to make fits all holes in his, his... His skin was all filled with, like, cracks and everything. So Rabbi Haz bin Ya'ir says, Whoa, whoa to me! Did I have to see you like this? So Rabbi Shemur says, 
Woe to me if you didn't see me like this. He says, because you're seeing me like this, that's what made me like this. Which he meant to say was, that because of this, see these holes in my skin, because of the suffering that I went through, that's what made me the Bishu woman you hide. That you would say to yourself, what is one thing I do with the other? What made the Bishu woman you high is the learning. No, but the conditions that he learned to him, that since the conditions were so rough, that yeah, because that Amban writes, that the establishment of the soul can only be through the destruction of the body. So the Mishnah on your eyes, what are you talking about? You think, you think I became so great by sitting relaxing on a lounge, uh, drinking uh, pina coladas, reading Zohar? Of course not. Yes. I studied under difficult, but that's part of the Amelut. We always think, no, Amelut is when you're actually learning itself and it's the mental, you know, uh, 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 calisthenics that you're making to, to break the Gemara. That's of course. The Hadush I'm telling you today is that the Amelut is even... The Amelut is even outside. It's in the external uh, 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 leading up to the, to the learning, to the learning itself. That's why it could be. Why we don't have the Tamidah Khamim on the caliber like we had in the olden days. Even though we have a lot of rabbis studying Torah today, but today the Torah is being studied in luxury. Today everybody has a Gemara. In those days, everybody had a book, there was one book. I used to give a class in B'nai Yosef in the Sichu. So this one guy used to sit across from me, doesn't use a book. So he, how does he read? He reads my book upside down. So I tell him, oh, what, are you, what are you doing over here? He says, that's the way we learned in Teman. In Teman, we only had one book. So the rabbi would have the book. All the students would sit around them. And they would read. read on different angles. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell him, we're not in Teman anymore. We have books. No, he says, I can read upside down faster than I can read right side up. All of a sudden, he starts reading the Gemara. Now, that's part of the Amelut. Today, everybody has... The chair, everybody has their book, the AC is on 68 degrees, everybody's got three types of coffee, there's a t- cell phone. So all that luxury takes away from the, from the growth of the Torah. You, you understand what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to point out over here? So you could have quantitatively a lot of rabbis studying, but qualitatively since the generation became a very... Um, you know, spoiled. A spoiled generation with all the. Uh, we once explained with this, the Gemara in Berachot. The Gemara says that there was a great rabbi called Rabbi, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel. You heard of Rabban Gamliel? Whenever you see Rabban, Rabban means he's the chief rabbi. Rabban. Like Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai. Rabban is the chief rabbi. So now watch what happens. So he said, he had a policy that uh, not everybody can come into the Beit Midrash. You have to be genuine. If a guy's just coming to the Beit Midrash to sketch around, to learn a little, then wants to go to the movies, and he wants to go to... We're not interested. You're interested in becoming a Ben Torah, you come learn. 
guy wants to take off on Sundays, the guy wants to come late on Yom Ha'atzma'ut, and all that. Listen, you want to come to the yeshiva, you're in, you're in, you're not in, you're not in. Okay. Now, as a result, it was very, very strict uh, uh, entrance policy. Anyway, Rabban Gamliel, eventually they deposed him, and they got another another leader of the Beit Midrash, which was Nabil Azab bin Azariah. Nabil Azab bin Azariah, he had a laissez-faire policy. His policy was open door. Anybody wants to come and learn? Learn. He told the guard, there was a bouncer there, he told the bouncer, you're fired, go home. Now we're going to make a new system. Anybody wants to go study Torah, you can go study Torah. So the Gemara says, as a result, the yeshiva was 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 jammed. There was many many uh, uh, more uh, uh, students. So the Gemara asks, how many more benches were added to the yeshiva? One rabbi says four hundred benches. One rabbi says seven hundred benches. So one of the rabbis asks. What are they giving the uh, number by benches? You don't tell me benches. Say, how many students were there? 300 students. How many benches? Now i got to figure out, well, there's six students on a bench, so six times four, 2,400 students. What, what are you making it confusing for? Just say, how many students uh, were added? The explanation is like this. The students that came in, that were genuine, that came to study Torah, in the Rabbi Gamaliel's time, they didn't care about the bench. They came to learn. So if there was a chair for them, they sat. And if there was no chair, they stood. And if there was no room, they went on the roof. And if there was no room, they studied in the boiler room. And they studied on the lawn. And they studied... To them, the bench is not an item. But once you started accepting the new guys, that were the not genuine guys, that were coming to study, but they wanted the luxury also... So now already they came in, where do I sit? Oh, that's a different generation already. Oh, you got to have a sit. Where, so they go, well, how many benches were added? Which means to show you that the level of the student, that's not the Chukimaro, it, it bothers him the externals. Once it bothers you the externals, so you cannot be there with the Tamil Acham. In the olden days, they had no light. They say the rabbis used to study outside by the moonlight. One rabbi, they said in Baltimore, Yeshiva, Maroon went blind eventually in his life. At the end of his life, he used to study outside by the moonlight, reading the Sepharim. Uh, the Tzadikim studied under the worst conditions. Uh, 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 why? Because they understood that you don't become great in Torah by studying it under the, under the, under the, all the, 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 the luxurious, the luxurious uh, conditions. That we call the Amelut of the of the Torah. That's what it says. The Ashkenazim in their Berkat Torah, they say Asher Kedeshanu Mevzotav Vesevanu Laasok BeDevre Torah. We don't say Laasok. We say Al Devre Torah. They say Laasok. No. Even though we don't have the text that they have, we don't argue on the concept that it's teaching us. That means it's not enough to learn Torah. Torah is not a newspaper where you take the Atid the Iman. And you read a couple of Hadushim from the Parashat Shavuot. I learned today. No, learning has to be la'asok. It's Isaac. It's like you go to the stock market. You ever go to the stock market? You see them in the stock market screaming, hey, buy, sell. It's like a shuk. You don't know what's going on over there. It's, a, it's, a, it's wild, bedlam. When you're coming to study, it has to be Isaac. 
you're learning the question as an answer and you're trying to understand it and then trying to get to the, get, get to the, get, get to the that's the isk of the Torah it has to consume you so he once explained based on this and then I'll let you go when uh, the Jewish people were in Egypt so the whole goal of leaving Egypt was to get the Torah. That we know that. As a matter of fact, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the burning bush, so it says God appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu in the batesh, you know, like you know, a, a plume of fire. And God tells Moshe, "Listen, you're going to take the people out of Mitzrayim. And Fifty days later, you come right back to this mountain. This is the whole goal. The goal is to get the Torah. But why did He have to appear to him in a fire? Why couldn't He just appear? We, we never see that God appears in the fire." God appears to the Tzaddik Abraham Abiru. He appears to him in a fire. He appears to him in a fire. He appears to him in a, in a prophecy, in a dream. But when it came to this prophecy, it was in a fire. Because this was the, the prophecy of the fire of Torah. Because God was telling Moshe Rabbeinu that in 50 days from the Exodus, you're going to come back to Matan Torah. I'm going to know the Torah is compared to a fire. Then we say, Esh Torah, Mimino, Esh Da'at Lamo. But it doesn't say it was any fire. It was Labat Esh. Labat Esh is a plume of fire. Labat is Rashetevot, La Asok, Torah. Which means God was coming to Moshe Rabbeinu and saying that I'm appearing to you, but Labat Ish. That the whole key is the Isaac of the Torah, the learning of Torah. Oh, then you come out of Mislaim. And that's what the Jewish people did in the Mirah for 40 years. They were Osek the Torah. And eventually they came and said, that is the, uh, that's what it means when it says that the Jerusalem was destroyed. Because they weren't all sick, but they were learning. But it wasn't in the Isaac, it wasn't in the. You know, it was lackadaisical. It wasn't with the Amelut that we say. The Torah says, in What does she say? Not just to study. The Amelim Torah, the toy, like the Pasuk says, Adam, Le'amal Yulad. Le'amal, you were born to toil. That how do you toil in Torah? If you study Torah on the level that you're able to teach it, then already it's Amelut. So how do I know if if you studied Amelut? How do I know if I studied Amelut? Can you say it over? If you can say it over, then already you learned the right way. But if you can't say it over and you can't teach it, so then already you, you, you don't really understand it. Because when you study on your own, you understand it more or less. Someone just repeat it. I, I can't repeat it exactly. I got the point. No, no, I got the point. Not enough. So they say, Adam la'amal yulad. How do you know if you have la'amal? Lilmod al menat lilamid. And they say that you should always learn like that. Always learn something with the kabana. I'm going to teach it over to somebody else. Then already you know it because you can't fun for it. Mm. You know, I, in my brain, I can make Levi. Yeah, I know it. I got it. Then when you come over, your wife says, What did the rabbi say? I don't know, he talked about the parashah. It, it was unbelievable. That's a, that's a limit test. That's a limit test. If you can say it over, then means even in a shi'ud when you're listening, you can be amil. Because there's two guys listening. One guy's listening, listening. Rabbi's entertaining us, listening, sitting there. Nice, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, beautiful. Wow, nice, nice, nice. But it's going in one day, going out the other. There's another guy listening. Like we have some of the guys in the synagogue that they listen to the Shabbat shi'ud. They're listening, you see them, and their faces intent. Why? Because they're, they're analyzing everything to keep it in their brain. And then on the way home from shul, they say it over. 
with the, this point, that point, so they can remember it. And then they come away after, they write it down. So even their listening is amelut. It's not a regular pleasurable listening. It's a listening where they're, they're sweating. They're, 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 it's a pressure type of listening. Because they want to learn it in order they should have it to say it over. That's even the amelut as well. Okay, you heard it here first, gentlemen. We'll stop over here. Baruch Amen. Amen.